Hello and welcome. My name's Stephen Dickens. You're listening to the I'm a Mainframer podcast, brought to you by the Linux Foundation's collaborative project, the Open Mainframe Project, which is a collaborative project designed to bring open source to the mainframe platform. I'm joined today by one of my dear friends in the community, Cameron Say. Cameron, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Stephen. Very glad to be here. Always a pleasure to talk with you, my brother. I'm looking forward to this. You and I have known each other for a few years now, and it's going back a while that we got to hang out in North Carolina for the recording of the launch of the Linux OneBox. So you've always been a long-standing supporter of the community. Just let's get the listeners orientated. Introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background and kind of what you're doing, and then we'll just dive straight in from there. Gladly. My name is Cameron Say. I'm a um, practicing academic, <laughs> a troubadour academic. I teach at two universities, East Carolina University and Tennessee State University. I teach mainframe topics. Um, I've been teaching for the last 16, 17 years. Before that, I was an IT person for 21 years. And I distinguish, I teach in a computer science department now, so I make it real clear. I'm not a computer scientist, right? I'm an IT guy, and there's a difference. And I, if anybody wants to know, you know, once we delineate that difference, I'm glad to do it. But to me, there's a clear difference between IT and computer science. Um, got involved in the mainframe via somebody I think you're familiar with, uh, Stephen, Don, Don Resnick of IBM uh, back in 2005, January 2005. Been teaching mainframe ever since. I was teaching the historically black college in the U.S., um, North Carolina Central University. And I saw this as a niche that my students could really um, kind of take over and, and, and flourish in. And I found that to be the case. Probably helped over two, 300 students get mainframe jobs. So that's me. That's me. Fantastic. I mean, there's there's so much to unpick there, Cam, and we'll get into it. Tell us a little bit. We'll, we'll start. We'll go on what you're actually doing today, and then we'll try and sort of unpack that as we go. This is going to be a fantastic conversation. Sure. I'm looking forward to this. So Walk me through what a day in the life of Cam say looks like, what you're doing today. You mentioned a couple of different colleges there. Just sort of unpack that for us a little bit and get us started. Sure, sure. Be, be glad to. Be glad to. I've got a great life. And most of it is due to IBM and Mainframe. I've got a great life. Um, I do what I want to do. I'm semi-retired now. Um, so a typical day for me is I teach um, Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays, right? I uh, teach in the mornings at Tennessee State, teach in the evenings at East Carolina. I teach uh, COBOL at East Carolina, and I teach um, an intro course and in, in COBOL at, at East Carolina. And at Tennessee State, I teach COBOL. Um, and so a typical day for me is doing class prep. There's always grading to do, always grading. So if I if I don't have anything, I never not have anything to do. There's always labs to grade because I get a lot, get a lot of, uh, give a lot of labs. Uh, in between that, I'm also chair of the co-chair with, with Derek Britton, someone you know, uh, of the Open Mainframe Project COBOL Working Group. I've uh, been doing that since I think June of um, 2020. I'm very, very glad to do that. So there's always duties to be involved with that. I'm on the board of trustees, board of governing board of the Open Mainframe Project. So we have regular meetings and we have you know meetings in between quarters. Um, and so there's always emails, there's always projects. Um, I've written a book, just written a book, working on the second one with some authors. Some of these folks you may know, David Boys, Reg Harbeck, and um, Carl Eric Stenforth. So we wrote uh, a main, kind of a mainframe primer, ZOS primer, and now we're working on a VM primer, right? 
Um, this this already been published. It's been uh, it's in it's in production now with um, Kendall Hunt. They're an academic publisher. Uh, so working on that. Um, always writing articles. I do a lot of blog posts. I do a lot of blog posts for ASG for the Open Mainframe Project um, for a couple other companies. Um, so that's that's a typical day in the life for me. I've always got stuff to do, stuff that I enjoy. So you're you're that's a typical day. You yeah. missed the energy. It's about one or two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, you missed yeah. the energy, on, Cam. Mr. Energy is the way I describe you. So yeah. a couple of different yeah. academic institutions. You mentioned the Open Mainframe Project work you do. I'm obviously really familiar with that, but maybe just double click on that for the listeners. You know, I, I know Derek was actually the last person we had on the show, so that was a, a great episode. Um, and he sort of picked picked and went through, went picked up the ball and went deep onto the uh, COBOL working group. But I'd love to hear your perspective. Obviously, Derek's coming from a micro-focus angle. He's coming from a vendor perspective. I know you take a very yes. different perspective on COBOL, and, and you've touched on it already with yes. some of your academic work. Just give us a view for the listeners, if you would, on what you think that COBOL working group is about and, and really what it's trying to achieve. You know, really, it, it, it was an idea that I think Derek came up with it, either Derek or Lynn San Lucia, both of whom, both of whom you know. I, I don't know who came with it. I didn't come up with the idea, but, but it was broached. And I said, oh, yeah, I think, I think this is a great thing. You know, I think it'd be really good because I was teaching COBOL at the time. And so we, we, we shot that, we, we pitched it to um, the Open Mainframe Project, John Murtick, who's the program manager. And so we got, you know, we got, we were the first working group for the Open Mainframe Project. They, they've got another one now. But, um, and Derek has kind of shaped the direction of that. Because I, you know, I, what my goal, my role and my goal for the, for the COBOL working group was to ultimate end game is to get COBOL back into the classroom, back to the academic classroom. So that was like a, a big macro um, objective of mine. But Derek kind of drilled down and said, well, you know, really we need to understand what COBOL is and what COBOL is doing today, right? So he's kind of driven that part of it. So we see ourselves as like the, the COBOL information entity, right? That we're going to be the repository of, of all the information that's relevant to COBOL. Who's using it? How much are, are they using? How are they using it? Et cetera, et cetera. So we, we had a survey that is due to be published very soon. I think micro, I'm not microfocus. I think uh, Tech Channel is going to publish it. Um, Reg Harbeck has written the survey. Uh, I mean, written the, the write-up for about the survey, the analysis of it. Um, Phil Toplinski is, is kind of the lead analyst on that. And it was a great project. We had 272 respondents. Uh, we can talk about the results, you know, sometime in this conversation, but that's done. And so we feel that's a major accomplishment. So now what we're doing is we're trying to work with, with Sudharsh and Srinivasan, who I think you know, um, and, and, and she's got a COBOL group that they built a course, a free course for COBOL via the Open Mainframe Project. So we're trying to work not at cross purposes, but kind of develop some synergy between the two entities because they're separate entities, they're separate groups, separate pieces of, uh, of the Open Mainframe Project. And so um, we're just trying to promote COBOL because what I've seen in the last, Six months to a year, Stephen, is the big boys, Bank of America, and girls, Bank of America, um, Social Security Administration, um, um, MetLife, they've seen it doesn't make sense to try to migrate those hundreds of billions of lines of code. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And their main pushback, 
There's nothing wrong with the cobalt. The cobalt is fine. It works day in and day out. Their main issue is they don't think that they're going to be able to find cobalt skills. And one of our roles in the, in the cobalt work is to kind of help make that problem go away. And I do see much, much more communication today between industry, academe, and the students about cobalt and about the mainframe in general, but cobalt specifically, than I've ever, ever had before. So there, there's, you know, every week I hit a, get a couple of folks that want me to, to for, for money, for, for a, a pretty good daily rate, want me to train people in cobalt. Right now, I was never a, a cobalt production programmer. I was a programmer in the industry, but not in cobalt, right? But I know I know the language well enough to teach it, and so and I've been teaching for several years. So that's kind of where we are right now. We, we're in a good space. Everything, all the needles are, are pointing up and green, and we're just trying to keep the momentum. Yeah, you know, trying to keep the momentum. We have regular conversations about. I'm always on panel discussions. That was another thing a day in the life. More often than not, I have a panel discussion that I participate in. More often than not, in, in a weekly basis, not a daily basis, but a weekly basis. So that's that's kind of you know um, where I am right now about the Cobalt Working Group and Open Mainframe Project. I hope that answers your question. So it does, it does, Cameron. And there's a couple of things that you mentioned previously in your introduction, which I'd like to circle back to. You mentioned historically back colleges that you've worked with, and you talked about the numbers of students you've brought through. I know that's a subject you're passionate about, and so am I. How do we get more diversity and more inclusion and bring others, maybe non uh, not, groups that aren't as represented as they should be into the wider mainframe community? I know you're probably one of the best at advocating for that group. So I just want to give you the opportunity to spend a, a bit of time talking about that because I think it's important for us as an open mainframe project group. It's important for the wider community. It's important for tech in general. So I just want to give you the opportunity to sort of right. just go long on this section. It's important. I want to give you the time. So just, just talk me through that if you would. Sure, sure. And I, I appreciate you, you having insight, understand the importance, the relevance and the value in understanding uh, these opportunities. Um, ever since I first saw this technology, I didn't know anything about the mainframe. I, I, I programmed on SAS, yeah, on the mainframe, but I didn't know it was a mainframe. I was a SAS programmer, right? Um, I saw that this is a this is a, a, a an area that can be a niche for the HBCUs, and the reason that's important is because the HBCUs suffer from an inferiority complex and image problems, right? Their product too often, more often than not, is perceived as inferior to the bigger schools. That's just the way it is. Now, sometimes there's some justification that because there are some HBCU programs that really aren't doing the best that they can. You have to understand HBCUs are chronically underfunded, chronically underfunded and understaffed. Um, for example, I'll give you an example. Tennessee State University, the state of Tennessee owes Tennessee State University today half a billion dollars in money they were supposed to be getting, but they weren't getting it. They were giving it to other schools, right? They weren't giving it to Tennessee State. So, so that kind of thing. And those types of issues are going to put HBCUs in kind of a bind. So, but there's a silver line in that because in the mainframe space, um, IBM's strategy early on with, with the academic initiative was to bring in the bigger schools. You know, NC State was supposed to be a flagship in mainframe education, right? Georgia Tech and um, Virginia Tech. That's, that didn't happen. And it didn't happen not because there's anything wrong with the mainframe technology that NC State doesn't really need to teach mainframe. Georgia Tech really doesn't need to teach mainframe. But guess who does and can benefit 
that from teaching mainframe, HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. And that has been a target. Now, what I am seeing now, and I've been I've been screaming this, as you know, I've been screaming this for, for over a decade. I've been screaming, right? Um, industry has heard that the last couple of years, last year or so. And I do see them reaching out to the HBCUs. Here's the problem. The HBCUs aren't responding, right? That's the problem. I have a couple of hiring managers, three or four hiring managers that I know personally that have reached out to HBCUs and said, look, we think you can benefit from teaching this technology. And if, if you teach it, I've got jobs for your students. But HBCUs don't respond because they there's a lot of inertia at, in academia, not just HBCUs, but everywhere. And they, when they start doing something, they're going to keep doing that thing. And if you try to put something else into the mix, unless there is a very extremely compelling reason that they can see and accept, they're not going to change. They're just not going to change. So it's a challenge. But I, I mean, I, I do see leeway. I am at Tennessee State. Tennessee State is a historically black college and university. I want to give shout outs to Jack, Dr. Jacqueline Mitchell, who's the program manager, and my, my colleague, John Thompson, for bringing mainframe. We have two courses on the books now, and we're going to have more, right? Um, so it can be done. Um, but I'm optimistic, but, but there are challenges. So it's not happening today. But I do see the conversations being had. I do see the conversations. But industry, anybody from industry that hears this is in the mainframe space, right? If, you, if your um, company uses mainframe all, focus on the HBCUs. NC State's never going to teach this stuff. They're never going to teach it, right? Georgia Tech's never going to teach this. I shouldn't say never. That's a long time. But they've got no compelling reason to teach it, right? The HBCUs do if you make that case to them. So I want industry to hear that. Um, and you know, all conversations with me about that uh, in, in this arena are gonna come back to that at some point in time. So that's, yeah. my, that's my, my, my stand on HBCUs. And I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic, I'm optimistic. And I think I'd say this to the listeners, anybody who's, I mean, Cameron's a, a, a fantastic voice for these underrepresented communities. He's very active on the social platforms. You know, we'll put a link to Cameron's LinkedIn if you, if you're okay with that, Cam, we'll put that in the in the show notes. Absolutely, absolutely. Highly absolutely. recommend anybody who's looking to bring people into the um, into the mainframe platform, particularly in the COBOL space. If you're looking for junior COBOL developers, Cameron is absolutely the person to reach out to and got pathways to get people into those programs. So we'll put that in the show notes. I'll work with the producer, Chris, and we'll get that in the show notes because I think that connection point between industry and some of those um, HBCUs is exactly where you fit and that's the value that you bring to the community. So so yes. maybe we, we've sort of talked about some of those connection points and I think that's really important. I know you've done a lot of work in the COBOL space. COBOL's been a bit of a lightning rod of a technology and a, and a discussion in the community since, uh, since the start of COVID and we're both laughing about it because we know where the next five minutes of this podcast is going to go. But Maybe just give us yeah. a state of the union, Cam. You, you, you know, you're a co-chair of the working group. You probably got as good a perspective as anybody on, on where COBOL is these days. You talked about some of the research that's coming out. Just give us a, a kind of state of the union on COBOL in 2021. Okay, so so it goes without saying that the global economy is dependent on COBOL. That's a fact. If you don't know it, look it up. That's a fact. Without COBOL, there is no global economy today, right? Um, and, and that is becoming more and more accepted. It's always been a fact, but it's becoming more and more accepted by the, by the hiring managers, making this, not the hiring managers, I'm sorry, 
the, 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 the strategic managers that make the decisions. So, so that, that is becoming clear. Um, I do see um, an embrace of the necessity to, to train people in COBOL, right? So there are, there are, there are numerous initiatives underway um, for the State of the Union in the COBOL. Um, it's aggressive in terms of education. Um, Jeff Bisbee of IBM, I think you know Jeff, he's got some excellent material on this, very easy to follow. And so now the whole development methodology, I just had um, three, three um, guest speakers in my class this week. Um, Rosalind Radcliffe, she's an IBM Distinguished Engineer. Um, Bill Pereira, who's a, somebody uh, in the Zoe space, and a gentleman by the name of Pierre Washington, who's a senior uh, software architect in Rocky. And they explained to the students how they're using modern tools that they like Jenkins and Git to do their development. So students, you, you've got to be clear with the students. You're not putting yourself on an island by, by developing the skill set. It's part of a continuum, right? It's part of a continuum. And, and it's a, a continuum that you can point in any direction you want to. Uh, I, I'm old school. I teach ISPF because the hiring managers tell me to teach ISPF. Uh, but I'm, I'm, next week, we're going to look, look at VS Code, right? We're going to look at IDZ. We're going to look at some, some, some modern interfaces. So the whole development methodology is really evolving. Thanks to people like Chris O'Malley. I think Chris is retired now, but he used to be the CEO of CompuWare. Um, he was very hardcore DevOps in the mainframe space, very hardcore. And I see that, that evolution occurring. And Misty Decker, uh, formerly of IBM, now of Microfocus, um, really is on me to, to, to show the students VS Code. I, I get the feeling that people don't, they're kind of ashamed of ISPF. They shouldn't be, because IB, ISPF is like VI in the Linux space. It's always going to be there. So if, if you can't, if, if nothing else is going to be there, you know IS, ISPF is going to be there. So you need to learn it, just like you need to learn VI. Um, so that's kind of where we are. We're when people are waking up and they're seeing things, there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of good, positive energy in the COBOL space. And I love to see it because there's nothing wrong with the code at all. COBOL is a language. The more I learn about it, the more I fall in love with it. the simplicity of it. My students say that they all know job. They're, they're comp students, so they all know job in Python. They say, it's so simple, I have a hard time understanding it. It's so simple. I mean, it's too straightforward. You know, it's explicit, perform, write, read. It tells you in simple English what the program is doing. Java doesn't do that. C doesn't do that. Python doesn't do that. But it tells you in simple English what the language. So the answer to your question, the state of union of COBOL, as, as, as a president would say, is good. Is, is good. <laughs> I love that. I love good. that. I mean, I think some of the passion comes through cam i mean and some of the those breaking down those perception barriers you, you, you know you you and i've known each other what is it six seven years now and i think if people get to spend time with you and get and i can imagine the students that you've worked with if, if they get time to spend with you they're going to come out of those programs with a broader landscape of, of horizons they're going to come out with better career prospects. They're going to come out with a better shaped view of kind of what it means to be a developer. And, and, and some of those prejudices are going to be sort of washed away. And I think that's the positive thing that you bring to the community. I mean, so let's start to look ahead a little. Where do you see the sort of next sort of 12 months for the COBOL working group particularly? I'm going to ask you about the mainframe as we look towards wrapping up, but... I'll ask you a little bit more specifically now. Where do you see COBOL? 
where do you see the going? You guys have been on a fantastic run for the last couple of years with the COBOL working group. What do you see is next? So, so a further integration to the, the to the to a heterogeneous infrastructure, making it a, a better, a more acknowledged part of what business is doing. Because I tell my students, I said, now, even even though you may not be applying for a COBOL job at Bank of America or Wells Fargo or somewhere else. The mere fact that you know COBOL, you understand COBOL, means you understand a big part of the way they do business. You understand how what their business is based on, even if you're not going to work in it. So that, that's an advantage. Um, I, like I said, further integration, um, development of tools, there's going to be tools. One of the things that, that Derek Gritton has, has, has wanted us to do, and we have just hadn't had the bandwidth to do it, is develop you know, tools that integrate seamlessly with other pieces, like you know, a tool, COBOL tool that works with Git, for example. I don't know of one, right? I don't know of one. Um, the way Jenkins does, Jenkins works with Git. So you know, tooling, I see more and more, more and more tooling. Now, I don't know where the new processor, where the new telling processor fits into this, but I know it fits somewhere. And I know COBOL is going to exploit some of those advantages to tell them, tell them. I don't know. I'm not an engineer. I don't know kind of what that is. I just know how, how IBM does things. So I see that as, as, as an advantage. And I see um, it becoming more of a factor in things like IoT. And um, now this is more mainframe general than COBOL, but, but COBOL is involved in this too. IoT and blockchain and, and, and uh, I think um, um, technology that's ancillary to the COBOL space. Um, just further integration, um, more understanding, and I think more and more students are going to understand how COBOL fits into the overall landscape. So it's not kind of uh, this this anomaly or this 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 exotic thing that's over there that nobody really understands. So, and, and I, I tend to agree with that perspective, Cam. So I ask this question on every podcast. And I th I'm really looking forward to ask it to you because I think there's probably nobody better in the industry to ask this question of. But a, a consistent question I ask is, what advice would you give to your younger self? So you've got a time machine for on loan for a couple of minutes here. You get back to go to the 21, 22-year-old camera and say, as you're leaving college, I think, as I say, you're the best person I've asked this question of on the podcast. And Chris will keep me honest, but I must have asked this to hundreds of people now. What would you say to your younger self? I would have, yeah, so to my younger self, uh, even after I finished college, I would, if we're talking about 10 years ago, myself 10 years ago, I would do a serious study of computer science as a discipline, which I didn't do because I was afraid of the calculus, which I shouldn't have been. Um, I would do a, a deeper study. I would spend more, I would tell my, 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 myself 10 years ago, Spend more time on tasks, on learning the fundamentals. Get clear on the fundamentals, right? The fundamentals are important. So I would, I would do that. Um, I would lay a, a, a firmer foundation for where I am now. I wish that I had done more technical um, study early on. I did, you know, I was a, you know, I was a tinkerer and stuff. I, I did what I did, but I would be much more focused. I would be much more focused. So. Um, um, get a degree in computer science and focus and develop more technical chops. Understand the fundamentals, understand the fundamentals and learn another language. If I, if I got 10 years ago, learn another language. That's what I want. Yeah. So what, I mean, and I'll double click and I'm really, as I say, I'm really keen to get your perspective. Career advice. What would you be giving to that 22 year old Cameron, 
you know, what would you be saying? You know, you just started to enter into the workplace. What would you be saying to your younger self? You know, I, th I think you're perfectly positioned to answer this question. So that's why I'm asking the sort of double dip, if you will. But what, what no, no, career no. advice would no, you no. be giving? No. Career advice, understand the corporate environment, understand corporate culture intimately, right? Understand, and, and I would advise the 22-year-old Cameron to get a mentor, get a mentor in the organization where you're working and, and stick to that mentor-like group. Become a pain in the butt to that mentor, right? And that will enhance your chances immeasurably by having a mentor. Now, you got to be somebody that the mentor wants to work with. So, you know, you have to be serious, but learn the corporate culture in general, how corporate America works, how the, the corporate world, not just corporate America, corporate world globally works. Understand the global economy and get a mentor. Those are the best two pieces of advice I could give a 22 year old starting. I think that's really with. solid advice. The amount of junior professionals that I've worked with uh, to, to, and it's been the first time they've had a mentor and they're at sort of 27, 28. And yet you, you've been navigating through the world for sort of five or six years at that point. And they've yeah. been stumbling and they've maybe not had as much. And you, and you work with them over a couple of years and the amount of progress they make. And you, you sort of think, I wish you'd come to me age 22 because I could have helped you made that progress so much earlier in your career. So no, I think that's fantastic advice, Cam. And I think, you know, you certainly play that mental role to a lot of people. I know you do that and provide those pathways. So I think that's really solid advice. So we're looking ahead. We've sort of just gone back. Now let's look ahead. I think you've got a really good perspective, but say you've got a crystal ball now, you've still got that time machine, in, but you can go forward in it. Where do you see the mainframe sort of five, 10 years out from now? So the mainframe five, 10 years now, I, I love what IBM, the direction IBM is doing. It's becoming much more cloud savvy because when you, talk, when you say mainframe, you're saying cloud, right? Folks don't understand that. Mainframe is cloud technology. It's the original cloud in nine, circa 1965, right? So I see it becoming more of a, of, a, of a visible factor in the cloud landscape, uh, hybrid cloud, the area that you're working in vigorously, Stephen, vigorously. Um, I would like to see IBM promote Linux on the mainframe more because Linux on the mainframe is completely, well, not, I should say completely different. It is a vastly different animal than Linux on, on x86, right? It does things that you can't do on x86. So I would like to see um, that happen. I, I believe it's going to happen. You ask me what I think is going to happen. I believe it's going to happen. Um, I, again, becoming more cloud savvy. Um, um, it just becoming, because what I'm seeing now is I've never had a problem with all my classes. 100% of the students have never heard of a main, well, I should say 100%. Better than 95% of students have never heard of the mainframe before the class. At the end of the class, I have convinced them that this is an important technology and one that they should consider a career in. So I see that expanding. I see that expanding more, the mainframe becoming more of a, um, a household, I'm not going to say a household word because it's business technology, but more understood by the common folk, right? By the common folk. Uh, I see that happening because of the things that mainframe is going to do. It's going to start playing a role, for example, in blockchain. I see mainframe playing a big role in blockchain. Well, I mean, it plays a role in blockchain now. People just don't, they, they don't know that. I see that becoming, I see people becoming aware of mainframe's role 
in kind of blockchain and IoT and things that then involve heavy transactions. So um, yeah, I, I, that, that, that's what I see now. You know, IBM comes up with an, another mainframe every couple of years. And so I really can't make any predictions about that. The memory is always going to get more powerful. It's always going to have, have more storage. You know, it's always going to be faster, bigger, better, stronger. Um, so that's that's going to keep going. That's been going for the last 60 years. So um, I see it. I see it broadening. It's, it's already pervasive footprint and, and solidifying, solidifying that footprint um, going forward. That's what I see. So Cameron, this has been a fantastic conversation and I knew it was as soon as Chris booked you to come on the show that this would be one of the highlights. I think you, over the last sort of half an hour, 40 minutes, what we've been able to cover is a really good sort of arc around where COBOL's going. You've given us a really good view of some of the pathways that underrepresented groups can get into the technology talked about just the student experience in general and and given that i think some of our long, younger listeners a lot to take away from the conversation anything you'd want to add before we wrap up is there anything we've i've not asked you as the host or done a bad job on is there anything you'd want to sort of talk about that we've not covered well i would just reiterate something i i said earlier to industry understand that you can make the skills issue much less of an issue than it is now, just by opening your eyes. Look around you, and I'm involved in a project now where with a, with a, with a faculty member, Maggie Hall, uh, she just got an NSF grant to teach um, um, technology, programming to the working poor, Python and COBOL, I'm the COBOL guy. And so she's gonna find these people that are either homeless or working poor, and she's gonna teach them how to do mainframe, right? So industry, Open your eyes and don't come to me that I can't find the skills. I, I you know, it, it annoys me no end when I hear industry say, I say, here's my email, dude. Hit me up. You, you're, you're saying something's a problem. We can make that problem go away. At least for you, we can, right? Any come. Oh, and this is another thing that I, that I want to say that you hadn't, um, that I hadn't said. The time to grow your internal skills is now. Don't wait. Don't kick this can down the road. You've been doing that for the last 10 years. You need to start going. You're looking for people with five to 10 years of mainframe experience. You're not going to find them because everybody's looking for the same people, right? Grow your own internally. Bring new hires on and teach them what you want them to know. That's the message that I have. I think that's fantastic. You've been listening to Stephen Dickens. I'm your host from the I'm a Mainframer podcast. We've had Cameron say on the, on the podcast with us today, if you like what you hear, please click and subscribe and give us a five-star review. That really helps with the rankings. Cameron, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. You've been listening to the I'm a Mainframer Always. podcast brought to you by the Linux Foundation's Open Mainframe Project. We'll speak to you next time. Thank you very much. Thank you.